Welcome to Trust Issues, a podcast by Kepler Trust Intelligence. Please be aware that there can be a time lag when we release podcasts, meaning time-sensitive information may no longer be accurate at the time of publication. Also note that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It's strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. Finally, Kepler Partners LLP has a relationship with the company covered in this podcast, which may impair its objectivity. We hope you enjoy the programme. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues. This week, I'm joined by Ian Pyle. Ian is the manager of Shire's Income. So, Ian, thank you for joining me. To kick things off, could you just give a brief overview of of Shires um, and what the Trust aims to achieve? Thanks, David, and thank you all for listening. So, Shires is an income-focused product, and the main aim is to deliver clients a high level of yield that is well above the benchmark. So, at the moment, the headline yield on the Trust is about 6.3%, which is well above the market and what you can earn on cash. But we also want to deliver income growth and capital growth over the long term. And the way we do that is by investing mainly in UK equities. Obviously, a great place to hunt for income, given the yield premium to other developed markets, and also now the highest buyback yield of any developed market as well. And the UK, from our point of view, looks well valued at the moment. And especially in the mid-cap space, it's also been a really good source of dividend growth over time. And equity exposure in the trust is genuinely size and style agnostic. But we do have a preference for quality companies with strong balance sheets and good cash flow characteristics because they are going to deliver us the the kind of reliable income growth that we're looking for. In addition to the equities, we have a meaningful position, about 20% at the moment in preference shares. And that really differentiates the trust from peers. And it's very useful from an income perspective. Preference shares are effectively perpetual fixed interest instruments, and they have priority over equity. And the average yield on our preference shares at the moment is about 7.5%. So what you get is a high resilient level of income, which is reliable, and it doesn't vary through cycle, which is something that was enormously helpful through the pandemic period, for example. And that means the preference shares do a lot of heavy lifting on the dividend. They allow us to be more flexible in what we can hold in equities. And overall, the combination gives us this high resilient yield, which is protected by over a year of revenue reserves. And it also gives us opportunity for growth in the future. Okay, so some people listening are probably aware that at the end of last year, your shareholders approved a merger um, with with one of your Aberdeen stablemate funds. um, And that was Aberdeen Smaller Companies Income Trust. That was kind of quite a key part of the portfolio because it was it was really how you got exposure to small caps. So can you talk a bit about what the benefits of that merger are and what was what the thinking behind it was? So the merger with Aberdeen Small Companies Income Trust completed at the end of last year. And the the most obvious benefit for shy shareholders, I think, is that the scale of the trust goes up. That means there's better liquidity. It means the fixed cost base is spread over more shares and that helps lower the, the overall cost for shareholders, which is obviously a good thing. I think beyond that, there's a definite benefit from a portfolio management perspective because we were taking a lot of our portfolio exposure to smaller mid caps via the holding in the small companies income trust. And 
That meant we had less control. It also meant that the valuation of that position was it varied a lot based on the the discount widening on on the trust, and we were find that was an issue. It also meant we had quite an illiquid position in that trust. By merging that in, we're able to take much more direct exposure in smaller mid cap stocks in the UK, and I think it's it's great timing because that area of the market looked particularly cheap when the when the deal completed at the end of last year. And I hope would be as interest rates start to come down a little bit, actually smaller mid-caps in the UK look, look really well placed. It means we can have a more focused investment portfolio in that space um, with more weight in shares we particularly like, where they have the right cash flow dynamics, and we can be slightly more active as, as portfolio managers. And we can genuinely know all the companies we invest in as well, which is, is a good position to be in. So I think it makes managing the portfolio easier and more effective. It aligns better with the shareholder outcomes we're coming for. And obviously, it does help with the, the scale of the trust as well. So I think a good a good deal for us. Yeah, so I think we'll, we'll come back to the uh, small and mid-cap holdings in a second, because uh, I think that's, that's quite an interesting part of the trust today. Um, but to go back to another point you mentioned really in your, in your, in your first answer, which was to do with the preference shareholdings. Um, I mean, Shires is pretty unique in this sense. I mean, there aren't many other trusts that in, invest in preference shares. Uh, could, you, could you give a bit more color on sort of what those are, how they're structured, um, you know, why you invest in them and how it sort of fits with, with the trust's wider goals? It's a fairly small asset class, so you won't find many people holding them. But for Shires, the attraction is really that they have that high yield. It's perpetual, so it keeps going forever. Um, and it really does a lot of the heavy lifting on income for the portfolio. You know, if you've got 20% of the portfolio doing seven and a half, eight percent yield, then when you look at the remainder of the portfolio and the equities, you need to work a lot less hard to have secure high yield from it. So we can be a bit more flexible in what we hold. And we can look at things which are there, not just for the headline dividend yield, but are there for dividend growth or for capital growth over time. Um, and the preference shares, because the dividend is more resilient than income as well, you're taking a lot less risk to get that income than you would be in equities. Usually when you get up to that kind of high single digit yield in equities, you're taking some risk about the sustainability of that dividend, which is not really the case in, in the preference shares. Um, and you give up some capital growth, you give up some market beta in those positions. But when we put it all together holistically in the portfolio, they're just a super helpful position for delivering that goal of resilient high income. Yeah. Okay. All, all very interesting. Okay. So to move on to, to the small caps uh, discussion. So if you looked at your portfolio previously, a lot of that exposure, and this is something you, you touched on, was... Um, was via Aberdeen Smallers. That's obviously no longer the case. So, so how have you had to shift things around? And is that sort of be, is that sort of beneficial change? I mean, it, I think you mentioned it gives you a bit more flexibility. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it is beneficial change. The weighting to SMIC caps in the UK remains high. You know, on our on our internal classifications, at least about forty percent of the portfolio is smaller mid cap, and. That's a good thing at the moment. I think we'll maybe talk about a bit more about the, the relative underperformance of SMIC caps and why they're interesting now. But we're maintaining that high exposure. 
And in the past, where via the trust, we were maybe spreading that across 50 or 60 different smaller companies, now it can be much more focused. So, you know, in that Asket holding has converted basically into eight different smaller company holdings that we brought across. It means the position sizes are meaningful, meaningfully active, um, and we're focusing on higher quality smaller companies with good growth outlooks, good cash flow metrics, and of course, a good level of, of income as well. So we can really fit that smaller company exposure to the outcomes we're looking for for Shire shareholders a bit more, uh, which is which is a good thing. And for me as a manager, I could never meet every company management team within the ASCIP portfolio, but now I can get out there, meet all the management teams of the companies we hold, take more informed views on the positions and be a little bit more active in trading them as well, which is which is good. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things you mentioned there as well was sort of valuations and, and performance. And um, you know, I, I left university in 2016, which sort of coincided with this period of UK socks experiencing a, a huge drop off in, in in valuations, at least relative to, to other peers. And um, I think if you look at the past couple of years, particularly since rates have come up, small caps um, you know, have kind of that's that process being a compounded a bit. Uh, and some sometimes, again, this is a, I suppose not advice, but I, I look at a lot of companies in the UK small cap space, and I'm I'm really left uh, scratching my head in terms of how they can. How can they be? They, they, they can be valued so lowly. Uh, on the other hand, I think there are some warranted fears about how these companies will perform in an economic downturn. Um, you know, if you're in a very, we've, we've we have seen, I would say, in the past six months, a couple of examples where, particularly companies that are in a more, let's say, a more concentrated business line, uh, have started to see some sort of cracks in performance. Uh, so, can you talk around those? Points of it. I mean, are, are people right to be afraid? Um, do you think there are any particularly interesting opportunities? Do you have a, any sort of sense of, of the outlook for for smaller companies or smaller mid cap companies? I should say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a great topic at the moment, and I feel it. You know, it, it's so correct that we've had that period since 2016 where UK, particularly mid cap, has has underperformed, and it's been in a really extended period. And I guess there's, there's two drivers in there. One being the general bearish view on the UK and UK economics, which has been pretty persistent over that period. And then the interest rate environment as well in the last three years where rising interest rates obviously correlates negatively with, with SMIC cap performance. And I think that kind of created a, a bit of a perfect storm last year. Um, you know, If you look at what worked in the UK last year, the only two factors that worked were size and liquidity. So you just needed to own big liquid stocks and everything else was was pretty poor. I guess what's what's infused me recently is that as you've seen some of those things start to improve, you have seen the Smith Cap areas and benchmark react positively. So as soon as inflation started to come in below expectations at the back end of last year, then there was a very sharp rally in in the smaller end of the market. And that's probably not surprising. Low interest rates is, is good for that area. And I think people take on more risk and look look at that area of the market more. Um, and anything that is positive UK relative other markets naturally helps the 
the 250 more because it is more domestically focused. And I think my my pretty clear view going forwards would be given an attractive valuation starting point, actually, there's every reason mid-caps in the UK can continue to outperform. Um, you know, longer term, they have performed better than the FTSE 100. And going forward, I think in a more normal economic situation, that can continue because these companies are usually higher growth and they're a pretty diverse mix of mix of stocks and mix of exposures in there. So you need to find the good ones. You need to find the good quality ones. But when you do, their ability to grow and be the big companies of tomorrow is is really powerful within a portfolio. Um, and I think the small cap holdings that we take over, I think it's easy to find good businesses there that are actually growing pretty strongly. Um, I think variations about the UK domestic economy is too high. UK consumer certainly has been surprisingly resilient. And things like positive real wage growth and real income growth this year, I think, will support some of those more domestically focused stocks pretty well. Um, one of the things that we acquired from the Small Companies Trust at the end of last year was a position in Hollywood Bowl. And you might think that exposure to that kind of mass consumer leisure running bowling alleys is relatively low quality and cyclical. But actually, this company has been a very strong compounder over time. It's got a very good operating model. It's a low price point. It expands and acquires underperforming competitors. And it's now growing in Canada as well as the UK. So it's starting to diversify. And the outlook is for continued good double-digit earnings growth going forwards, but trading on a roughly 12 times PE multiple, which looks very cheap. Um, and I think you've just got to know the businesses and know what makes a good growing operator in that in that space to to do well. Okay, so moving on to, to a slightly uh, a different topic away from uh, for company size and more into a sectoral realm. So if you look at your portfolio today, I mean, financials remains by some distance the largest weighting. What's the thinking behind that? So I think that's really an output of the fact that financials is a good hunting ground for income. You know, there's no no surprise there. If you look across the financial space, areas like insurance, asset managers, and even banks always been good companies for delivering income. Um, they tend to be less growthy, and that, that means they have a slightly higher payout ratio. And when we look at financials at the moment, we definitely think of it as a a pretty broad sector where we have very diversified exposure. So within that, there is reinsurance, insurance, asset managers, banks, things which are actually not hugely correlated, but they all sit within in the same sector classification. I think the one thing that's changed probably in the last three years is to take on more bank exposure, and that's just simply reacting to the interest rate environment. Banks over that probably 15-year period from 2008 really struggled because it's very hard for a bank to make a sustainable return above the cost of equity when interest rates are at or close to zero. But in a world where interest rates are, let's say, a more normalized level, 3 to 4% perhaps, um, then these banks actually do earn very good returns. 
they've significantly de-risked compared to pre-2008. And capital positions are very strong. And you look at the payout potential from them over the next few years, and it really is is very powerful. You know, a company like NatWest will pay out at least 30% of its market cap over the next three years. And all else being equal, should deliver a pretty good return for investors. And of course, they're cyclical. You know, we will see them go up and down on news and interest rate changes. But the actual resilience of that business model is much better than it was if we went back 10 years ago. Yeah. So uh, another another sector that you have a large weight into is energy. Um, and I think, you know, probably most people listening are aware that energy had a bit of a bump in 2022 for kind of obvious reasons, and that's come down a bit. Um, I would say there's a, there's a kind of similarity actually with the Canadian market here at the moment, where if you look at the outlook for for dividend growth and for earnings growth and also share buyback programs and all those sorts of things that income investors look for, it's really strong, but it's almost like the market is valuing companies as though that that's not really sustainable. Um, and it sort of seems like there's a similar dynamic at play for UK companies. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's it's super interesting. I think energy, maybe a bit like banks, actually, is a sector that the market is very unwilling to fall in love with. You know, and there are some reasons for that. It can be slightly tricky from a sustainability point of view. Um, and the market's view is generally that these cash flows are of limited duration. In part, that's because we think we'll get an energy transition sooner rather than later, although you know, I think we're going to need energy in whatever form it's produced in, in growing volumes for some time to come. And for pure oil and gas companies, there's a realistic view that actually you have a finite resource, which means you have a finite stream of cash flows to pay income going forward. So there are reasons why multiples should be should be low. But at the moment, the outlook is actually very strong. All the cash flow metrics are very good. Returns on capital are improving. The companies are extremely disciplined. And all of this is supported by actually what are pretty low commodity prices at the moment. Um, so I think the outlook is is definitely attractive. And you know, we again we take quite a diversified approach in this area. Certainly in the smaller names we own, we want to own things where there's limited commodity risk on the short term. So either they hedge out their commodity prices or they've got fixed term contracts to protect the cash flows and protect the income. Um but I think if if you take the view as I do that the best opportunities are often where people aren't looking and where are not the hot areas, then energy is one where there is an awful lot of opportunity and probably undervaluation of equities at the moment. Okay. Interesting. Um perhaps to finish off, you know, I I hate to make you get out your sort of crystal ball and so on, but um from from my point of view, I think you look at the you know I would say speaking to you know speaking to investors and all that sort of thing, you get the impression that a lot of people are um I want to say maybe putting hope over reality is a bit too strong, but there's definitely uh, a real desire for for everything to be fine, and so sort of rates are going to come down, inflation's coming down, uh, rates, are, you know, everything's we're going to have a soft landing. Um, you know, your portfolio is 
typically more defensive, defensively positioned, and, and so how do you sort of what what does that mean for you? I mean, do you, firstly, do you think that those those people are correct? Um, and if they are correct, does, does that mean upping the risk you're going to be taking? Um, what are your thoughts going forward? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. I think the, the first thing I would say is that I'm trying to be very focused on what the right outcome is for Shires, and that is not to chase the benchmark or even to worry about the benchmark at all particularly you know what's what is important is that we deliver a high level of income that that grows over time and that capital values will follow that up over time as well we can look at a benchmark particularly last year where it was driven up by large cap tech or large cap businesses in the uk and think you know, should we be doing something different to chase that? But actually, that's not the outcome we're we're going for. So we shouldn't lose sight of, of the outcome for Shire as well as been worrying about the benchmark. Um, in terms of the outlook right now, I, I think you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. I think the base case has become this Goldilocks scenario. And I don't really have a problem with that because I think there are good reasons why things will be okay if inflation moderates we get some real wage growth and we see some modest productivity improvements then you know economies will be okay and from fairly bearish starting point most equity markets can can perform pretty well but the problem with the goldilocks scenario of course is that everything needs to be just right and if you have some deviation away from that then you can end up with a much more bearish market outcome pretty quickly. Um, and certainly things like inflation tend to be more persistent than people think. Um, and there's plenty of warning signs out there if you want to look at PMIs or company insolvencies or starting tick up in unemployment globally, then you, know, you can find enough reasons to be slightly bearish on the economic outlook. So from our point of view, it's really a case of just focusing on what we can control, focusing on the outcome, trying to find good quality, resilient companies with good cash flows um, and and sticking to that. And I think actually having a slightly more defensive tilt at the moment is no bad thing at all. I think I'm probably showing my, my bias when I say I agree. So uh, that is probably all we have time for. So Ian, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, if you have listened and you are interested in learning more about Shires, I recommend going over to our website because we have have a relatively recent note on the trust and actually have covered it in a couple of other um, strategy articles. Um, so you can see more th- things in a bit more depth than we've discussed here. Um, and yeah, thanks again, Ian. And hopefully we can chat again sometime in the future. Thank you very much, David. My pleasure.